Blog Talk Radio.
All right, welcome back to another edition of Prayer National Radio. My name is Chris Herzog, and I'll be hosting the show tonight. Uh, may have a few other co-hosts come in. Not really sure how that's going to play out throughout the evening, but just want to let you know if you need to call in. The call-in number is 619-638-8458. Also, you can go to our website at www.prayerinternational.org. We've got some video uploads, and we'll be adding to that throughout the week. And if you need to email us, you can email us at prayer at prayerinternational.org. And, of course, we still have the um, prayerinternational at gmail.com, but we're kind of trying to phase that out. Uh, everything will be forwarded over to the other one. But you can email us at prayer at prayerinternational.org. I left that up in the chat room as well. And so we're broadcasting from 10 to midnight Central Standard Time. Uh, typically seven days a week, and of course you guys know Sean and Paul have joined us on the platform, and we'll just kind of kick it off with some prayers tonight. want to thank everybody that is in the chat room and praying for us and standing in agreement with us in this season, and just want to let you know we are praying and declaring the will of God to be done in your lives. Uh, on a continual basis, and not just on the show, but we just lift up the different prayer requests that come in. So uh, we'll continue to do that. Well, Father, we just give you thanks and praise tonight, Lord Jesus, and we just give you all the glory. Father, tonight we just ask you to rain down, Lord, of your Spirit, that you would send down your Holy Spirit like a rain over us. That, Lord, you would bring a refreshing You'd bring a watering so that the things of God, the seeds of God that have been planted in our lives would come to fruition, Lord. And, Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you give us daily bread. Lord, we thank you that you provide. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that your kingdom is coming and your kingdom is being established in our lives tonight, Lord. For every man, every woman, every child, every teenager listening, Lord, or that's represented by those that are, Father, we pray, Lord God, have your way. Have your way. Your plans and purposes be established, Father. And, Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that you are awakening the hearts of your people, that you're awakening the minds of your people, Lord God, to encounter you in a real and genuine way. Lord, we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise tonight, Lord. We just thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, you know, last night I kind of got going about prayer and started talking about different things and actually got cut off. You know, I was wondering, I was looking at the chat room. I was totally lost track of time in the middle of what I was sharing last night. And You know, I was wondering why we had quite a few people in the chat room, and I looked back and everybody dropped off. And I, I almost got discouraged there for a minute. I thought my preaching or my teaching was horrible. And then I realized I was already two minutes. Uh, it was like 12.02 at the time, and we had already cut off uh, from our live show, so I sort of wrapped it up. Of course, if you listen to the archive, it will actually extend like an hour past. Uh, it does record uh, not only a two-hour live show, but it records a third hour uh, I went ahead and cut the show just briefly afterwards because it just kind of threw my whole flow at the time. 
But uh, now that we know that we may continue, if we get in that situation again, we may continue to keep on going uh, for those of you that want to listen to the archive. But, you know, as always, since we're here uh, typically every night of the week, uh, we can always pick it back up where we left off. That's the good thing about God's Word is there's so many facets to it. There's so many truths. And, you know, we could just pick it apart and devour it and apply it to our lives on so many levels. You know, it's an, it's an overflowing, unending fountain. And that's one thing I know about the Word of God is, you know, you can just take a chapter or two, and before you know it, um, you know, just meditate on it. Chew it up, mull it over, and see so many different things out of the same chapter. And not that we want to change or add to the Word of God, but you know, God speaks to us in many different ways through those scriptures as we apply them to our lives and apply them to the situations that we go with, go into or deal with. And so, you know, I was kind of on the subject of prayer last night and intimacy with the Lord as usual and just made a few references about the Lord's Prayer and, um, you know, just coming to God in a genuine way. But I wanted to get into Ephesians tonight for a little bit, so... Uh, if you're in the chat room and you're following me, I uh, wanted to, you know, get into Ephesians 1 and just see where we go from there. And so if you guys want to, I don't know if you're using uh, Bible online or actually reading Bibles or just want to sit and listen, but I'm going to start off with Ephesians 1. At some point, I'm going to try to get through the whole book of Ephesians and see how we can apply this to our lives. You know, it's good to have a knowledge and a working foundation of Scripture. Sometimes, you know, it's okay to take a uh, verse here and there and let the Lord speak to you, let the Lord apply it to your life. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, many times God will just use the Word, use the actual Scripture to lead us and guide us or to give us a inkling or a, a, you know, just a leading of where we should be or what we should do. Sometimes it's hard to get the whole context or get the whole understanding of what's being said just by one scripture. So I like to get into, hey, thank you, Sherry, for putting that up, Ephesians 1. Amen, thank you. Um, you know, I like to sort of take it chapter by chapter when I can, when the Lord permits or when we have time to permit. And, again, as, as, you know, doing a two-hour show, sometimes we have opportunity to, to talk about many different chapters. And it's funny how the Lord seems to intertwine all of them together. But let's do this. Ephesians 1, and I'm going to start with verse 1. And, actually, this chapter is only 23 verses. And I may get into chapter 2 after that. We'll just see what we have time for. We'll see what God permits. But, uh, again, I want to thank you guys uh, for sticking with us and just let you know how much of a blessing that you are. So praise God. Okay, well, Ephesians 1, Paul, talking about Apostle Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This is talking, this is his salutation. So he's saying, look, this is the one writing this. And who is he writing it to? He writes it to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So whether you're in the Ephesian church or whether you're just a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, Paul the Apostle wrote this for you 
as well as any other believer that is faithful. Okay, so we we know we can apply this to our lives. It's not. It wasn't just for back then. It wasn't just for that time. But you know, God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It separates and pierces and, and cuts away the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so, wherever you're at, this this word is for you. Now, notice he says, "I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ." In verse one, by the will of God. He was very clear, number one, what his calling and function was, which was to be an apostle, an apostolic role, one of the fivefold ministry gifts in the body. But he had a confidence that what he was doing was the will of God. What he was doing was the will of God. He said, by the will of God. He knew he was called. He knew he was called and he knew what he was doing was the will of God. And sometimes in our life, we need to have an understanding of what our calling, what our giftings, what our function, what our abilities are. So we need to have a clear understanding of what the Lord wants us to do or where he's leading us. But also, we need to have a confidence in God while we're doing it. So verse 2, he says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's speaking grace. He's crying grace and peace. Of course, he says they come from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Very clear distinction. Grace, mercy. See, God can give us grace. God can give us a supernatural strength and grace to go into a situation. But again, when we have issues or stumblings or circumstances, he can also give us a grace in the midst of those trials where he shows us mercy. And of course he says, peace be to you. Well, Jesus said, peace I give, peace I leave you, not as the world gives. It's a different kind of peace. It passes all understanding. It can't be figured out. How can you have peace in the midst of the storm? Well, Center yourself in Christ. Center yourself on the Word of God, and He'll bring you that peace. Verse three: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So, right there, He tells you: First of all, praise be God the Father. Blessed be God the Father. He's praising the Lord. He's praising the Father. He's praising Jesus. He's speaking blessings over them, to them. Why? He recognized that God has blessed us, which would include himself and the church of Ephesus, but would also include all of us, the faithful, the saints that are in Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We need to realize that the the realm that God operates in is a heavenly realm. The realm that God operates in is an eternal realm. It's not this temporal realm that we see. It's not the physical realm. It's not the flesh realm. But it's a eternal realm. It's heavenly places. You know, the Bible says that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's why we're told to set our minds on things above. So that's where the blessings come from. And he says this, 
according, verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him. Do you realize he chose you? He chose you? A lot of times we think that we choose him. But the Bible reads like this. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So what's he saying? Look, before the earth was ever created, I chose you. Before I ever formed the earth, I knew you. He continues to say, look, the way we should live, the way we should be before him, the way we should carry ourselves before God is to be holy, to be consecrated, to be set apart, to be sanctified unto God. And without blame, in other words, live your life to such a degree that no one can point fingers. No one can point fingers at you and blame. All they can say is, wow, you're you're consecrated, you're set apart unto God. And it's not a self-righteous thing. It's not a work thing. It's a heart thing. And you can do all the right stuff only to please people and your heart still not be right with God. But holiness is is when your heart is upright before God. And holiness is not only is your heart upright before God, but you express it through your actions. You express it through your life. You express it through your words to the point where you're above reproach. You're blameless. Now, does that mean you make mistakes or mess up? Of course, we're human. We're going to fall short. doesn't mean we have to sin every day. doesn't mean we have to sin every week. There's... There's periods of time that I go without sin. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I'm better than anybody. Hey, Dorothy Lee, God bless you. God bless you tonight. Bless Sherry and Wendy and the few guests that are in there. God bless you tonight. So he's saying, look, we should be holy and without blame before him in love. It's love. See, faith works by love. Everything in the kingdom operates by love. In fact, God says not only is it one of the fruits of the Spirit, but it's a gift of the Spirit. It's the greatest gift. He says the the three greatest gifts are faith, hope, and love. But the thing is, is the faith and the hope, they operate by love. So you have to have love. The only time you're going to do anything great for God is when you have a love for Him. And what you do is an expression of that love towards God. Verse 5, having predestinated us, in other words, it was predetermined. See, he says he chose you, but it was predetermined, predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will. See, it was God's good pleasure, it was God's good will according to his will that he decided to choose you and bring you into the kingdom. Now, of course, when he chooses you and his spirit begins to woo you and pull you and draw you, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to respond to that. You know, you can choose somebody to be on your your team. You can choose somebody to be a part of what you're doing, but it doesn't mean they're always going to comply. So realize that God can choose you to be a child of God. But you're responsible to the compliance of it. 
Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. He says, look, this is to the praise. This is to the praise of God. This is to the glory of God. Why? Because of his grace. The Bible says it's not by works, lest any man should boast, but it's a gift. It's, it's the grace of God, the, the mercy of God, the kindness of God that leads us to a place of repentance. So it's to the praise of the glory of his grace. And I'm reading out of the King James Version. Your Bible might read a little bit different, depending on what version you're reading. I'm reading King James. I read, you know, many different versions just to study and pick apart. I actually went and studied this in Greek and Hebrew as well, not not the New Testament, but the New Testament being Greek. And, you know, it, uh, you know the thing is with Scripture, it's been translated and transliterated so many times over the years but what we're looking for is continuity and context. We're looking to find the heart of God in what's being written. We're looking to find the mind of God and the will of God in what's being said. So just because yours reads a little bit different, always seek the Lord out. Always ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Always ask the Holy Spirit to show you what is the mind and the will and the heart of God in this scripture. And, Father, what does it mean for me now? What did it mean back then? What does it mean for me now, and how can I apply it and respond to it in this season of my life? So I say, look, the fact that God predestined me, the fact that God chose me, the fact that God gave me all spiritual blessings, the fact that grace and peace from the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ has come over me and he's seated me in heavenly places, this is a praise and a glory. This is I'm praising him because this is because of the grace of God. And it's by this grace that he's made us accepted in the beloved. And if you're accepted in the beloved today, and you're adopted as a child of God, he's adopted you into his kingdom. He says, look, this is according to the good pleasure of my will. God says, in verse 5, it's according to the good pleasure of my will that I've done this. It's because of my grace that I've done this. And I'm going to reveal to you my mercy. I'm going to reveal to you my peace. I'm going to reveal to you those spiritual blessings. And it's going to cause a transformation in your life so that you can carry yourself holy and without blame before me in love. See, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. You know, if you have a love and a passion for God, it will drive you and it will motivate you to live holy. It will motivate you. Why? Because you don't want to hurt him. You know, now the legalistic answer is because God said so, because the word tells us to be holy. But truthfully, if you love somebody, you don't want to spend your life, you don't want to spend your time hurting them. And when you have an understanding that every time you fall short, every time you sin, it actually grieves the heart of God. It actually grieves the Holy Spirit. It actually hurts Jesus. It was one more pain he had to take on the cross. It was one more bit of agony that he had to go through. That's why he had to cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He had to just speak out forgiveness because he knew, look, your sin was so great. It was painful to God. It grieved him in his spirit. It grieved Jesus. It grieved the Father. And, and today, as the Holy Spirit is running to and fro throughout the earth, when we sin willingly, it grieves him. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And so when you begin to realize that your sin grieves him, 
when you begin to start loving God and you don't want to hurt God anymore, all of a sudden it'll cause you to want to stop sinning because you don't want to hurt him anymore. And a lot of times our, our traditions and our religion has so desensitized us to that that we don't even realize it when we hurt him. We have no clue when we grieve the Spirit. We get so shrouded and covered in our hearts, hard-hearted, that we don't even know when we're affecting God. When what we do affects the outcome of what's going on in his kingdom. That's why it says you reap what you sow. Sin brings forth death. Why? Because every time we sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And every time we sin, it, it sets us on a course that the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. So let me continue. Verse 7. In him, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now listen, God is a gracious, merciful God. He says, though his anger endure for a moment, his love endures for a lifetime. His mercy endures forever. And it is, we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If you're redeemed and reborn, if you've come into the kingdom and, and had your sins washed away, it's all by the blood. And he says, look, if you have issues, if you have problems, if you have sin in your life, you can confess that sin because he's faithful and just to forgive you. Come to God, draw near to God, and, and lay that stuff before the Lord and allow the finished work of the cross, allow the blood of Jesus to help you to overcome. But he says, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God's grace is rich. It's abundant. It's overflowing. Verse 8, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. You know, God's grace abounds towards us. And it's full of wisdom. It's according to his word. You know, the wisdom of God is the word of God. The wisdom of God is the word of God. And prudence, also called understanding, he wants us to have wisdom and understanding. He wants us to fear God to the point. See, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. He wants us to fear God to the point where we understand his heart towards us, which is love and grace and mercy, but also have an understanding that the sin and the flesh and the world are enmity with God. He says this, he wants us to have all wisdom and prudence towards what? Verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. So because of God's good pleasure that he, he purposed in Christ, because of God's good pleasure that he purposed in the Spirit and in himself, he wants to reveal to us, he wants to make known to us the mystery of his will. He wants his will to be known. He doesn't want it to be a secret. He doesn't want it to be a mystery. But he wants to rip the veil off of our spiritual eyes. He wants to take the spiritual wax, so to speak, out of our ears so that we can perceive and understand and know and acknowledge his will. Verse 10, 
that the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So he's saying, look, throughout time, from the beginning to the end, his desire is to gather together everything under Christ. He says, you know, Christ's prayer was, Father, I thank you that you and I are one, and I pray that they might be one even as you and I are one. In other words, he wants a unity. He wants a togetherness. He wants us on one page. He wants us on the same page. And he says the things in heaven and the things on earth. What He wants, that's why Jesus said, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There shouldn't be any differentiation. His desire is that the Spirit of God Cover the earth. The glory of God cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. His desire is that the will of God and the kingdom of God come here on the earth. What does that mean? Salvation? Healing? Freedom? Joy, love, joy, peace? See, look at what the fruits of the Spirit are. And then think about heaven. Look at what the gifts of the Spirit are. And realize they're to bring us to a spiritual understanding of who God is. Bring us to a place of intimacy and one where we worship God, where we pray unto God, where we cry out to God and commune with God, connect with God, and become one with Him. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And He makes it very clear. Verse 11. In whom... We have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He says, look, in Christ we have an inheritance. Just like if you're born into a family and your family passes on, in most cases they leave a blessing behind. They leave an inheritance that transfers from them to you. Well, Christ... All the blessings that are in Christ, all the spiritual blessings that we read about in verse 3. Okay, he blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Okay, well, he leaves that inheritance. Why? Because it's according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Listen, God's working everything out. God's working everything together. By the counsel of his own will It's not the counsel of your will The problem is Is a lot of times we begin to counsel with people We begin to counsel with ourselves And our desires And their desires Their plans, purposes, ideas and thoughts Are interjected into our lives And even our own ideas and thoughts Are interjected into our lives But it's not the counsel of God's will Well how do we know the will of God We need to understand the word of God Because the word of God is the will of God. God says, I exalt my word above myself. That heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Why? Because God clearly outlines and defines his purpose and plan. God clearly outlines and defines his will in his word. But if we don't counsel with God, if we don't seek the wisdom of God, if we don't seek to understand and know what God is speaking then we can't fully come into our inheritance. We can't fully receive the blessings that are purposed for us before the foundations of the earth, whether that's salvation, whether that's healing, whether that's deliverance, 
whether that's a financial breakthrough or opportunities or relationships or experiences or encounters, whatever those things are, unless we're uh, conscious of the will of God and the purposes of God, then we're never going to apprehend those things. We're never going to receive those things into our lives. So it's very important that we seek after the counsel of God's will. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. The reason we do these things The reason we do these things is to be a praise and glory to him. He wants his church, he wants his bride, he wants his people to be a praise in the earth. He wants us to be a praise in the earth. So praise God. God bless you, Grace Orphanage and Dorothy Lee. Antarctica, which is Wendy, Pet Prep Radio, Sherry, our, our few guests. God bless you. We're praying for you. We're standing for you and your families, your ministries, and the prayer requests you've lifted up to us. We're praying that we just speak the will of God and declare his will be done. But he wants us, verse 12, to be a praise in the earth. Now, we're about halfway through, so just bear with me. In whom... He's talking about those who first trusted Christ. Listen, and that's us. We we trust in Christ. We trust him. In whom, that's what faith is, is belief and reliance and trust, reliance upon God. Verse 13, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Now, what he's saying is, listen, when you first heard the word of truth, when you heard the word of God, when you heard the gospel of your salvation, and you chose to respond to God's choosing you, you you responded to God's drawing you, and you received salvation, at that point when you believed, he sealed you, he deposited, he quickened you with his Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. At that moment, was made alive in your spirit, sealed you, came inside of you, was recreated, reborn. You're recreated and reborn when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And he's saying, this is your earnest inheritance. It's the earnest. It's like having a title deed to the house. No, you're not in heaven yet. But when somebody gives you the title deed to a house or gives you the title to your car, even if you don't have the car, all you have to do is go show that title and claim what's yours. It's already yours. You've already got proof. You've already got the the piece of paper that says this this is mine, and it's just as good. You know, sometimes you go to the bank and to get a loan, they want to see the title to your car or they want to see the title to your home. They don't expect you to load up your home and haul it over to the bank to show them. And in most cases, they don't expect you to come bring your car or your vehicle. They just want to know, do you have the title? Do you have proof that it's yours? 
And when the Holy Spirit is deposited into our life of salvation, it's our proof. We're sealed with His Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. What does that mean? Until we're in heaven. Until we either pass from this life through death. And we enter a newness of life. Or until we're raptured or lifted up, taken up. Whatever comes first. Verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He's saying, look, whenever I heard about your faith in the Lord, whenever I heard about your love, now he's speaking to the Ephesians, but listen, when you have a group of believers in your life and they begin to understand about your love and your faith in the Lord, they begin to understand who you are in the Lord. They see your faith and they see your love. Listen, they'll begin to pray. When God brings you covenant people in your life that, that understand who you are in Christ, they'll begin to pray for you. This is what Paul says. He's like, I don't hesitate. I don't cease. I don't stop to give thanks for you. I praise God for you. And I even make mention of you in my prayers. I pray for you continually. And this is what he prays, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. What is he saying? Look, I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I want you to have wisdom. I want you to have understanding. I want you to to be revealed and have intimate knowledge of who he is, of who Christ is, of who the Father is, who the Spirit is. And then he continues, he says, verse 18, that the eyes, your spiritual eyes, the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Some versions say flooded with light, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. See, just like Paul knew what his calling was, he was called to be an apostle by the will of God. He, his prayer, and what our prayer should be one for another, is that we would know what the will of God is. We would know what our calling is. We would know what our assignment is, our abilities. Our gifts, our talents. What are we called to do? Where is he leading us? So he says, The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, look, he wants you to obtain your inheritance. He wants you to get everything that God has for you. Get a hold of everything that God has for you. He wants you to receive all the blessings that are in Christ. Verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? And if you're a believer, if you have faith in him, there's an exceeding greatness of power. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the Holy Spirit. There's power in the Word of God. The Father is all-powerful. He's the all-powerful, all-sufficient one, the El Shaddai. And you need to have a revelation of that and realize that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's an all-powerful God. He's moving and working on your behalf. And Paul's prayer, and what our prayer should be, is that you would understand the working of his mighty power. Now, how did this come about? He tells you right here in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he set him 
at his own right hand in heavenly places. See, when Christ shed his blood, it gave us access into the throne room. When Christ shed his blood, it gave us access to the Father. When Christ shed his blood, it gave us access to receive the Holy Spirit so we could understand that inheritance. We could have that life that was meant for Adam originally but was lost in the Garden of Eden because of sin and disobedience. But see, when Christ went to the Garden of Gethsemane, when Christ went to the Garden and he sweat great drops of blood, he gained back in one garden what was lost in the first garden. He gained back the right. See, if we would believe on his name, then we would have the right to become children of God. And so he wants you to have that understanding. Verse 21, far above all principality of power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which has become. You think, look, this this amazing relationship which comes with these benefits, these callings and these assignments and these benefits and this inheritance. It comes through Christ. It comes through knowing Christ. It comes through receiving Christ. But this power goes far above all principality, all dominion, and every name that is named. So whatever name, whatever circumstance, whatever sickness and disease, whatever circumstance or trial you have in this world doesn't stand a chance against the name of Jesus. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. He put all things, so Christ is the head, and all things are under his feet. And he used to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So I saying, look, Christ is the head of the church. If we're his believers, if we're his church, if we're his people, then we need to make Christ the head. Christ is Lord. Christ is in control. He's the master of our destiny. So we need to put first things first. So basically, I'm breaking down Ephesians chapter 1. So you have an understanding that you have an inheritance in Christ. Spiritual blessings, which are yours. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. If you've confessed Christ and received him into your heart, received the Holy Spirit into your heart. That that is your down payment. That's your title deed to let you know that you're his. That he chose you. So let me pray for you, and then we're going to go and break uh, for a song here. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you, Lord God. We thank you that you bless us with all spiritual blessings, Lord. We thank you that you have given us inheritance. We thank you, Lord God, that you're calling us to be faithful, faithful to you, Father God. So, Lord God, you want to seal us by the Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your grace and your peace that are towards us. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for everything that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the blood that has redeemed us. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Father, give us our wisdom. Give us your wisdom. Give us your understanding. According to the good pleasure of your will, Father, we thank you, Father, for the inheritance, Lord, that that you have purposed us, Lord. You were working all things after the counsel of your will, Lord. Help us to counsel with you, Father, and not counsel with the ungodly, but let us counsel with you and your word. Let us counsel with the Holy Spirit. 
Father, help us to trust you and, and receive salvation so we can be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Father, thank you, Lord God, that you're opening our spiritual eyes. You're giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you're opening our spiritual ears, that we would know what we're called to do. We would know what you created us for. We would know what your assignment is in our lives. So, Father, I thank you, Lord. Reveal your exceeding great power through the risen Savior, the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And, Father, we thank you, Lord God, that every name that is named, Lord, you have put it under your feet. So we speak to poverty, and we speak to cancer, and we speak to sickness and disease, and we speak to fear and intimidation, Lord. We speak against those things that are against you, Lord. We speak and break those things off of your people tonight and declare the name of Jesus is the banner that we hold. The name of Jesus is speaking over every child of God tonight. And we thank you for it, Lord. And we give you praise. We give you praise, Lord, that you are the head. You are the master. We are your servants. We are your people. And we're not just servants, Lord, but we're really sons and daughters. And, Lord, you're our father. So, Father, help us to hide this word in our hearts tonight, Lord, that we don't sin against you. And we just give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Finding myself at a loss for words And the funny thing is, it's okay The last thing I need is to be heard But to hear what you would say
All the 
Another edition of Prayer International Radio. My name is Chris Herzog, and I'll be hosting the show for the rest of the show for about 31 minutes. And it's getting close to about 11:30 Central Standard Time, and we're broadcasting out of Garland, Texas. Just wanted to give us some more time to worship, to praise the Lord. You know, as you know, we like to give plenty of time for you to enter into a place of worship and praise. And just allow the atmosphere of God's Spirit to fill your home or your office or your car, or wherever you're at. And the Bible says that He, speaking of God, speaking of the Holy Spirit, inhabits the praise of His people. What that means is He dwells and lives and moves and breathes and has His being in the place where He is worshipped, glorified, celebrated, and lifted up. So we make that a priority here on our show to give plenty of time to worship God and enter into his presence and his glory. You know, we firmly believe that without his presence, without his manifested presence, without the Holy Spirit present to help teach the word of God and to teach the word of God through the scriptures, uh, there's not a lot that's happening. But, um, you know, if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to be your teacher and not just a man, not just a person or a woman or a preacher, not saying that we don't need the fivefold ministry gifts in the body of Christ, but if you'll just Open up your Bible from time to time and get into his presence and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you through those passages of Scripture. You'll be surprised at the things that will speak to your heart. You'll be surprised at the answers you'll find in the Word of God. Now, if you're just tuning in, we actually went through Ephesians 1 for the first part of the show. And for the last 30 minutes on the show tonight, I want to see if we can cover Ephesians 2. Probably whenever I'm on the show for the rest of the week, unless the Holy Spirit leads us in a different direction, I'm going to try to get through the whole book of Ephesians, which is six chapters. Probably try to take one or two chapters a night. Um, of course, I'm not on every night, so you know, just whenever the Lord has me on, it, it'll probably be uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, I guess, before I'm on again. Probably take tonight, or tomorrow night off. And... Uh, so if you need to call in, the call-in number is 619-638-8458. You can always go to our website, www.prayerinternational.org. We've got a new email address, which is prayer, P-R-A-Y-E-R, at prayerinternational.org. And that's the new email address. Of course, you can still reach us on the old one. I'm checking it frequently. But if you want to, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll just see how... Uh, how much of it we can absorb and get through as time permits. All right, so chapter 2, and this is talking about our old condition versus our new condition. And, of course, the writer of Ephesians is Paul. He's writing to the church of Ephesus. And he also, in the first chapter, says that he's also writing to those that are faithful in Christ Jesus. So this actually applies to all believers that are in the body of Christ not just the church of Ephesians or Ephesus. All right, so chapter 2, and he quickened you who were dead in trespasses and in sin. In other words, when you were dead in sin, when you were in your old condition, God by his Holy Spirit 
came into the situation and raised you up, quickened you. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, or by nature the children of wrath even as others. Now what is he saying? He's saying, look, when Christ came into your life, he took you out of your old condition. Well, what was your old condition? First of all, you were dead in your spirit. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Your old man was walking on the course of this world. Your old man, your old nature, walks according to the prince of the power of the air, or who we refer to as the enemy, the, the devil. And according to the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So before you knew Christ, before you were in Christ's kingdom, before you were quickened by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that you were working, walking, living as a child of disobedience. He said your conversation in times past was the lust of your flesh. That when you were in the in the world, when you weren't in Christ, you were living to fill the, the desires of your flesh, living to fulfill the desires of your own mind. And he said by nature you're children of disobedience and wrath. So that's the condition, your old condition, your old man. Those are the things. Now listen, you'll find yourself in this walk until you allow the Holy Spirit, until you allow the Word of God to get into your life, until you begin to truly walk according to the Word of God, you'll find yourself at times revering back to what we call the old nature or the old man. You'll find yourself walking in those old ways. And those old ways are ways of disobedience, ways of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He says you'll notice it by your conversation. You'll notice it when you begin to feel the desires that are in your own mind. You'll notice it because there's a disobedience that works in you that is not according to the Spirit of the Lord. That's the old man. Now, he also contrasts the old man from the new man. Verse 4, he says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he has loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he quickened us together with Christ. And then he says, By grace you are saved. So even when you were dead in your sins, God, because of his great love for you, because of his mercy for you, he quickens you with Christ. He raises you up. He makes you alive. King James says quicken. Most of the other versions read, makes you alive. But when you're dead in your sin, he makes you alive in Christ. What does that mean? He says, verse 6, this is what it means. He raises us up together and makes us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not talking about heaven alone, but he's saying, look, even though you're walking in this world, you need to set your mind on things above. You need to realize that even though your condition may still resemble the old man, even though your condition may resemble sin or disobedience, 
even though your condition may look really horrible at times, you need to begin to realize your position. And your position is that you're seated with Christ. Your position is he's made you alive. Your position is that by grace you've been saved. Verse 8, not of yourselves, but through faith you've been saved by God's grace. It's a gift of God. He gives it to you as a gift. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. So don't boast about your own goodness. Don't boast about your own righteousness. Don't boast about your own works, because the Bible says it's by grace that you've been saved. It's a gift of God. It's by the blood of Jesus. It's because the Spirit of God came in and quickened you because God was so merciful, he was so gracious towards you, that he gave you the opportunity to walk in a new life, to walk in a newness of life. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Did you know you're his workmanship if you're in Christ? You're his creation. Created in Christ Jesus under good works. He's created you for good works. He's created you to do good works. Now, you're not saved by good works. But the reason you're here on the earth, the reason you're here, the reason he saved you is so that you can go forth and do good works. And it says, which God has ordained before that we should walk in them. He foreordained them. He foreordained it. He predestinated it. Before the foundation of the earth was, he decided, I want this son, I want this daughter, and I want them to do these things. So God prepared this for you. Preparation was made. Verse 11. Wherefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by the hand, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants and promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What he's saying is, look, there was a time in your life in your past life, before you knew Christ, before you were quickened by the Spirit, before he made you alive, before he predestined you for good works and put you on a path where you re- were revealed Christ, where you were revealed the gifts of God and the callings of God, he began to show you. Of course, you, we got into chapter 1, which kind of laid some framework for us. So if you want to go back and listen to the archive, I, I encourage you guys to go back and listen to tonight's archive and get chapter 1 down. So to lay that framework for you. But he's saying at some point you were you were an alien. You were cut off from the goodness of God. You were cut off from the blessings of God. You were cut off from that life that God has for you. And at that time you did not have any hope. You were without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ, you who are sometimes were far off were made nigh by the blood of Christ. Listen, it doesn't matter how far away you were, but God sent his son. God sacrificed his son. God raised him up. And it's because of the blood that you can be brought near. It's because of the blood you have access. It's because of the blood of Jesus that you can become one with the Father and fellowship with the Spirit and experience that richness, that, that life, the goodness, taste and see the goodness of God. 
because of what Christ did in his blood. For he, verse 14, is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition. What's he saying? Look, at one point there was a wall of partition that separated you from God. It was called your sin. Because of the blood, he abolished that partition. He was the mediator. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And he rent that veil. You know, in the old covenant, God had to dwell in the tabernacle. But in the new covenant, you are the tabernacle. In the new covenant, I am the tabernacle. My wife and, and everyone that names the name of Jesus Christ, we are the temple. We are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. We're God's house. He doesn't dwell in temples made of human hands. Now we go to places, buildings, houses, gathering places that we call church. But the truth is we're the church. The people are the church. The building's just the building. And unless the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit go into the building, there's no church. It's just a building. But wherever we gather, he says, if two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of you. Well, he's in our midst. As we lift up his name, as we glorify his name, he says, I dwell in the midst of my people. I dwell in the hearts of my people. Jesus said, the kingdom is within you. It's not some mystical force out there in the outer space or far beyond. No, the kingdom, the Holy Spirit is within you. If you're a child of the Most High God, if you've been redeemed by the blood, if you've received him into your life. So let's continue now. Verse 15. So he broke down, and 14, he breaks down the wall of partition between us and God. 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of plain one new man so marking peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity. What's he saying? Look, he wants to take your fleshly man, your fleshly self, and abolish it. And he wants you to be one. He wants to take the, the two that are separate, God and man, and make them one. He wants to be one with you. Just like a husband and wife come together and become one flesh. God wants intimacy. He wants. He doesn't want there to be any division. No distinguishing. That's why he says, you're his ambassadors. You're his representation. Jesus said, Father, I pray that they be one like you and I are one. What is he saying? There's got to be a unity. There's got to be a harmony. There's got to be a peace with God. So he reconciles and he slays the enmity. The enmity brings that wall. The enmity is the enemy of God. The things that are against his kingdom, the things that are against his will, the things that are against his purposes in the earth and in heaven. And he wants to abolish those things by his blood. He wants to crucify your flesh. He wants you to put off your old man and begin to walk in that newness of life. See, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. doesn't mean that you'll never revert back to your old nature. But see, if you stay in the spirit and you're not carnal, and you begin to follow God's word and his ways, then that life of God will begin to well up from the inside and begin to work on the outside. See, it's a process from the inside out. It works. It starts on the inside, and then it's an outward expression of your faith. And there's plenty of people that can honor God with their lips, 
They can raise their hand and do a song and dance, but their hearts inside are wicked. Their hearts inside aren't for God. Their hearts inside don't know God. But they're saying, no, this is an inward expression. It's working outward. It's a process that we all go through. Verse 16. Here we go, verse 17. And came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them which were near. Verse 18, that through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. So it's through Christ that we can have access to the Holy Spirit. It's through Christ that we can have access to the Father. And God has made it available. God's made not only his spirit, his presence, his glory, the comforter, the Holy Ghost, to access our lives and for us to be able to access him, but also to have a relationship as a son or a daughter with our Heavenly Father. How was that made? Through the blood of Christ. How was that made? Through the finished work of the cross. Verse 19, now therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners. You're not a stranger. You're not a foreigner. You're not an alien. He's saying, look, you're a citizen of heaven now. You're a citizen of heaven now. He says, you're a fellow citizen with the saints and of the household of God. So if you're in Christ, you don't have to walk far from God. You don't have to be in enmity with God. You don't have to be divided from the Lord. You can see by the Spirit of God, because of what the blood has done, you can have access. You can touch God, and He can touch you. Verse 20, and you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. See, there's a there's a foundation there. When we read the word of God, we see that God raised up apostles and prophets as a foundation, and today he's still doing that. But there's a foundation, an apostolic prophetic foundation. What does that mean? The word has to go forth and be established. The Bible says, how are they going to hear the word lest the preacher be sent? And the preacher preach and they hear and, and obey and receive those words of life. You know, Jesus himself is not walking around on the earth declaring the gospel. John the Baptist isn't walking around on the earth declaring Isaiah, Jeremiah. These guys are, they're in glory now. And even Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not going to stay there. He's going to come back again. He's not going to stay in heaven. He's coming back to to call his own. Now you are God's representation in the earth if you're in Christ. And there's a foundation that can be laid. First of all, that foundation is Christ Jesus, the chief cornerstone, the rock-solid foundation. And once Christ is laid, then God takes apostolic and prophetic men and women to help birth his purposes, to share his heart, to reveal his mind and his heart through the scriptures. Everything that's done has to be through the scripture and be coincidal and in line and on point with the scriptures. Otherwise, people are just adding to and taking away from the word of God and God forbids that. So we have to be very careful when we recognize these quote-unquote apostles and prophets 
And there's a lot of self-appointed apostles and prophets out there that are not speaking the words of truth. They're not speaking the Bible. They're not, you know, they're preaching another gospel. So he says, preach Christ. Like Christ is the foundation. It's Christ that's the mediator between God and man. It's Christ and his blood that have broken down those walls so that you can experience God and encounter him in a real and genuine way. Verse 21, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, grows up unto a holy temple in the Lord. See, if you ever saw or have seen the way a house has been, or a building's constructed, they always lay a foundation first. First they level the, the land, and they move all the debris out of the way, and they get it leveled and packed down to where it's solid and it's unshakable and it's unmovable. And just to make sure, they don't just start building on the dirt, but they lay a concrete slab usually, a concrete foundation. Now, some houses are built on pier and beam, but even those those piers and beams, are they have concrete, and, and they dig down deep and put, fill the holes with concrete to hold the piers and beams up. Or if the house is on a slab, it's built on that concrete, there's a solid foundation. Why? So it stands. So it doesn't fall. And Jesus said, everyone that hears my word and keeps them and obeys them, they're the ones that are on that solid foundation. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commandments. And it's faith works only by love. You can't have faith in God if you don't love him. You can't have faith in God if you haven't received his love. And if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. We talked about that earlier because you get to a point where you know when you're doing something that grieves the heart of God, it hurts God, it offends God, it, it, it separates you from God, whatever the case is, then you want to stop doing it. You want to quit it. And sometimes we get so caught up in our old ways, we get so caught up on the things of the flesh that we get hard-hearted, or we become callous, we become desensitized to what God calls sin. A lot of times we let the things of the world condition us to a place where we're desensitized to what grieves the Lord. God calls that carnal-mindedness. He says it's enmity with God. James calls it in the book of James double-mindedness. He says that man won't receive anything from God. There can't be bitter and sweet waters from the same brook. Does that mean we're never going to mess up or make mistakes? Or No, we're talking about the condition of the heart. We're talking about the condition of the heart before God. And always there's there's room for error because we're human. That's why Jesus himself said it through the book of John, if you confess your faults, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you confess your faults one to another, pray for each other that you'll be healed and restored back to God. Why? Because he knew we needed a Savior. He knew we couldn't do it on our own. See, he's building and fitly framing together the people of God. Not only leadership, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, intercessors, but the rest of the body, Christ being the head, Christ being the chief cornerstone, Christ being the leader, the master. But he's building his people. He's, he's bringing his people together in unity. Why? So they can grow. Grow into what? Into a holy temple in the Lord. We're all in a process trying to grow together. We're all in a process trying to grow up into him. And it is a process. It's a process where we see our old condition and our new condition and we're constantly confronted by the two. 
And the more we draw near to God, the more he draws near to us, and he allows that life of God, that life of Christ, that spiritual life, to begin to work in us and through us and for us. He says, in him, verse 22, and we're going to stop with this. It's the end of chapter 2 here, the last verse. In whom, in whom what? In Christ. You also are being built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So not only were the Ephesian church and these apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, intercessors, and these saints at Ephesus, they were building together to be a holy temple. But he says, you also, you who, the faithful that are called to be Christ, you who call yourself Christian, believers, you who call yourself born again, God is trying to fit you together, together. Notice he says, together. That means he, he wants everybody to be a part. Fit together. To become a habitation of God. He says, when two or more are gathered together, I'm in the midst. So God is calling us to put off our old man, to receive his new man, to understand our new condition and our new position is seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Why? Because he's reconciled us by his blood. He's broken down that wall of partition. He says you're not strangers and aliens anymore, but now you're children. You're, you're in the household. And I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Everything you need for life and godliness is, I've given it to you. And it's our, it's our responsibility to seek it out. It's our responsibility to dig in this word and do what it says and find out what is our inheritance. What are those blessings? What does God have for us? What is our calling? What is our assignment? And then we come boldly before God with confidence. And we allow him to fill us with his spirit and help us to carry that out. Why? He doesn't dwell in temples made with human hands anymore. He dwells inside of you. He dwells inside of me. And those that name the name of Jesus Christ that are truly his, that's where he wants to live and dwell and have his being. He says, you're my habitation, you're my house, you're my temple, you're my tabernacle, you're my church, not the building. So let me pray for you. And that was Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to check out the archive, go back and listen to Ephesians 1 and 2 and get the whole deal. And we'll get into chapter 3 maybe tomorrow or if not Tuesday. Or I guess tomorrow is Tuesday. Sorry, I'm off a day. Uh, Wednesday. We'll get back into that Wednesday. So praise God. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray for every person that's listening tonight, Lord. Every man, every woman, every teenager that's listening, Lord, that you would touch them by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would help them, Father to recognize their condition. Help them put up the old man. Help them to receive you in their lives. Help them to begin to see themselves as you see them. They're not strangers. They're not aliens. But they're children of the Most High God. They're citizens of heaven. And Father, thank you, Lord God, that you're building us together. You're bringing your people together in unity to be a habitation of your spirit. Thank you that eternal life is to know the Father and that the kingdom is within us, Father. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells inside of us. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would bring your people to, a, to an intimate knowledge of you, that you would 
give them your perspective on themselves and the people around them, that they begin to see life with a heavenly eye, with a, a spiritual eye, that they would begin to filter what they hear and listen to with ears of the Spirit, with spiritual ears, Father, where they would hear your voice. And, Father, give them hearts to obey you and do what you tell them to do, Lord. Let them recognize what grieves you, what hurts you, but at the same time, let them understand what pleases you. So, Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your holy word. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, not only did you write to the church of Ephesus, but, Lord, you preserved these words for thousands of years, Lord, for us, your people. In 2012, on the 19th of March, And, Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Father, and you're moving among your people, Lord. We pray your Holy Spirit would touch them, that your Spirit would deliver them and save them. The Father, your power would heal them because every name is under your name. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Lord. So we speak to every sickness. We speak to poverty. We speak to discouragement. We speak to fear. We speak to lack. The Lord, we declare it will bow its knee to the name of Jesus, and we thank you for your encouragement. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your faith. We thank you for your healing. We thank you, Father, that you are taking, Lord God, those things of the world that were so common to us, replacing with this new life. You're replacing them with all the spiritual blessings. You're replacing them, Father, with your goodness and your mercy that you said would follow us all the days of our lives. Father, we just give you all the praise and the glory, Lord. It's, it's for you, Lord. It's not for us, but it's all yours, Lord. This is all for your glory, Jesus. We just thank you, Jesus. We Give us grac- gracious, grateful hearts. Give us an attitude of gratitude, Lord, so that we can receive your promise, receive your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Chris Herzog. This is Prayer International Radio. We're wrapping it up for the night, but we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place, from 10 o'clock to midnight, Central Standard Time. Just keep us in prayer. As we're praying for you, we'll continue to lift you up to the Father. And we say, God bless you and good night. In Jesus' name, amen. I need